Welcome, Xiamen Kua from Bryn Mawr University, professor in East Asian languages and cultures, as well as comparative literature. Welcome. Thank you. It's so nice to be virtually here. I am so excited that I get to spend a little bit of time with you and others uh, to talk to you about your incredible work. You have so many incredible interests and you've done so much great sort of writing and research in areas of comics and adaptation and translation and global circulation of text and my goodness, like, <laughs> I don't know, the, the world, the sky is definitely not the limit for you. Um, but there's gotta be an origin story, I'm sure, or something here, right? Why, um, I know you've published on Mulan and on Chinese drama and, and so on, but why comics? Um, well, comics, I think, is is sort of a natural link to my other interests that, that I, I started with in, um, in my studies. I, I was an English major in college, and then I actually studied, um, as, as you mentioned, uh, Chinese, classical Chinese literature. That's what I have my PhD in. Um, but even in, in that research, even though it's in 16th and 17th century uh, Chinese literature, I was interested in opera. And um, so for me, I, I always was drawn to multidisciplinary kinds of projects that had um, very strong visual aspects, the, the kinds of things that words don't always capture, um, both music, but also movement and uh, visuals. And so um, I was, you know, and I, I've, I guess I've been an avid comics reader, um, more, you know, Sunday comics or Mad Magazine or, or something like that. But um, it, it was a very natural transition for me, um, and I, I wrote about it a little bit in the introduction to my book. Um, I had moved to Texas for a few years, and I, I sort of needed a break from my research, and I started reading a lot of, of comics, like alternative comics, and um, it just suddenly became a, a potential field of scholarship for me me and it kind of gradually grew and um, I happened to be working at, at Bryn Mawr which is very open to those interdisciplinary kinds of projects and um, I just went with it. You know um, there, you have your book on uh, Mulan and mm -hmm. which is I think fascinating because I think most main you know most of the mainstream think of Mulan is only the kind of Disney story. Sure. Yeah. Um, but in a way, that's kind of pop culture, right? Pop culture oh, yeah. in China. So can you, maybe sure. that's a nice way to kind of weave this together with, you know, the, the current work that you're doing. Yeah. Sure. Um, I, one of the, the plays that I wrote about in my dissertation was actually um, a 16th century adaptation of Mulan. And uh, in fact, that was, you know, over a thousand years after the first mention of, of Mulan in, in Chinese literature. And the thing that I was really interested in 
uh, is the way that a story sort of has its life by other people contributing to it, right? So it, it's not about keeping um, as close as possible to some original story, but instead a way of uh, thinking through current events or thinking through an author's specific interests, uh, but by applying those uh, thoughts and interests to the same story structure. And um, the, the book, therefore, kind of goes through different versions of the Mulan story um, in, in two poems, um, and then in, in these two plays, and then in a movie uh, script, and, and thinks about what things stay the same and uh, what changes are made, maybe because of the genre, whether it's a film or an opera, um, and also what, what kinds of interests the audiences have. And so that, that is, uh, as you said, you know, uh, a natural movement into some of the work that I've done um, on comics as well. And if you were to characterize your work or interest, your kind of worldview, say, mm -hmm. in your approach to comics, because um, there's so many different ways, right? We could focus on reader response or the formal aspects or yeah, yeah. Comic book history. What, what would you say kind of characterizes your interest or your drive? I think um, I, I'm, I'm very much informed by sort of formalist close readings of texts. And um, I think actually one of the things that I said when I was writing regarding frames was that I wanted to write about comics in the same way that Helen Bendler writes about poetry, that, you know, she sort of, it's just this very um, intense, close reading of the text um, and, and thinking about the ways that the author has used the form itself to comment on the content. And I think that's the approach that I've used no matter what I've been writing about, whether it's uh, you know a 16th century play or a, a comic from last year. So, you know, speaking of regarding frames, um, tell us like why the frame is so important in comics. Um, I, I think for me anyway, I, I think the, the sense of structure is um, has always been sort of the most compelling um, the, the most compelling way of of, of putting um, thoughts and emotions into uh, a form that can be shared with others and um, that's been my own experience in, in writing an essay um, and you know I, I sort of like to have a an outline worked out and I, I by the time I actually write my essay, I kind of, it's already written because I have it all plotted out. And so I, I think I am drawn to works where I feel like the author or the artist is doing the same thing, right? Like maybe not even in a conscious way, but in a way um, where I can, I can see the design in it and I see how it is um, relating to the actual content. Um, Oh, I, I actually, the, what got me really started with it was Michael DeForge's uh, book, Ant Colony, um, which was published in 2014. 
and um, it's it's kind of a, a meaty text with lots of subplots. But the thing about it that made me suddenly think, you know, I, I want to write about this book was when I was reading it, discovering that in the very middle of the book, there was this, um, uh, an, an X kind of, uh, of, of um, made by a magnifying glass. And it was in the very center of the book so that it sort of visually made the book separated into two halves and um, moving outwards in one direction in, in both, both halves of the book. And um, in fact, I, I was so compelled by this, I, I sent him an email and said, did you do this on purpose? And, and he sort of, he never really answered that question, but to me it almost didn't matter because the structure itself was, was evident in, in the text and it um, sort of directed my, my reading of it. So... <laughs> That's so tell me so maybe either walk maybe walk us through one or one of these images here that um, yeah. I've taken from your book but sure. um, what is you know people talk about comics the kind of baseline comic mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. sentence as a sequence of panels some people say no it's the the you know the sequence of panels but it's the page and mm -hmm. it's sequence Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, the, obviously, you can only have a sequence if you have kind of clearly defined kind of time space units of the frame, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. tell me, tell me, like in a nutshell, like <laughs> why, why, how am I supposed to read some of this, and why is the frame sort of so important? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I, I think actually that that's part of the argument of, of my book is that um, the the frame is is so important to all of these different artists and yet they all use it in very different ways. Um, and, you know, for example, when you talk about sequence and movement between frames, um, I, I find that to be extremely easy to talk about when talking about um, something like Kevin Heisinger's work, which is um, the, the one in the upper right hand corner of, of the slide. Um, you know, he, there's something very rhythmic and almost musical about the way that he uses these frames and that the movement between uh, the frames is more or less uh, linked to the, the shape of the frame and, um, so the, the sequence of imagery is, in this case, this is a, a, a video game, a representation of a video game, which is in, in many ways also an, an allegory of a relationship that's, that's going badly. Um, the, the reader is, is sort of guided through time very carefully between the frames. Um, but when I'm talking about frames in, um, for example, the, the larger image of the, the six um, cells that uh, is by Gabrielle Bell, this is part of her um, daily diary effort. And so although the frames, um, for, you know, formally capture the passage of time. They also, I think, are very interesting because of the way that each frame, almost um, all of the frames of her comics um, have her in them. And uh, the when you see them in 
printed on the page or you see them in the actual original drawings, they're about the size of a passport photo. And um, it's, it's interesting to think about the way that the hand-drawn self-portrait is a challenge to this idea of the passport photo, right? Like that, that some one image of a person can fix their identity because her comics are about change and about uh, the, the kinds of transformations that we all go through day to day. And uh, we see that in the way that she shows herself in each of these um, panels. And so, you know, each of these artists um, is working with the same conventions and the same structures, but in very sort of strikingly different ways, but they're, they're relying on us knowing uh, about this vocabulary, right? That, that something's changing between the frames, um, but what changes is often very different. Mm, yeah, really, um, thank you for those insights. It's interesting that you have with Belle this um, the frame that becomes a kind of um, box that pushes, almost creates some tension between the visuals and the, the textual elements, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the sense of like, even the diminished presence of the visual, right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and it's often the case that she she's draws people looking at frames, whether it's windows with people that, you know, they're, whether they're watching other people through windows or people in another apartment, or uh, she just did a comic recently of um, a framed piece of her own work <laughs> that she was, she was transporting. So it, it's, it, you know, it, it's something that uh, is absolutely striking, right? That this this idea of um, these kinds of formal constraints that we work with and um, that there's a great deal of, of beauty to be had from mm. struggling against. That yeah, thing. beautiful. Yeah. Um, how the constraints and canon does create actually, right? Um, becomes a space of creation. Um, so yeah, what about, tell me, can you talk a little bit about your work on space and memory in comics? And I'm thinking in particular here, your work uh, for the volume that's gonna, forthcoming uh, with Rutledge on gender and sexuality in comics. Yeah, I'm so excited for that. <laughs> yeah, I, oh my goodness, I am too. <laughs> it's, it's, it looks beautiful, congratulations. Um, well, so, it, this this book is a uh, male Ferris says my favorite thing is monsters, which is still uh, only halfway uh, published because we're still waiting for volume two. Um, you know, th this book was on a New York Times bestseller list, and I think it's it's really uh, pathbreaking in so many ways. And one of the things that it does that I think is so fascinating is it. Um, it shows us how how willing we are to jump back and forth in time, um, even you know, through this kind of hybrid protagonist of a werewolf girl who's telling a story um, about the Holocaust, which is something that she doesn't really know about, but that she's able to enter through another person's voice. Um, I'm very interested in memory and space in, and actually it links back to the 16th century in China because um, 
the the Jesuits who were missionaries in in China um, at this time had a um, a method of memory making, um, which was in order to memorize something, they would teach um, teach their students to imagine a place in their mind uh, and and walk through it, right? And um, and by being able to visualize a physical room or a house and put various objects in that room people were supposed to be able to link the things that they were they needed to keep memorized with those objects that were created in their memory and um you know this this may sound kind of esoteric and 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 strange but i think it's really relevant to the way that we think about um why we memorialize spaces um what it means to return to your old house uh, that other people are living in now or, you know, to an old theater, like, like the kinds of um, sites that um, Ferris puts in her book that, you know, maybe it used to be this grand theater in the 1920s and now it's a drugstore or a Target or, or something and, and yet it's, it's still infused with memory and, um, and because of those memories of specific people, it has this kind of profound meaning. Um, so, you know, looking at something on Google Maps is not the same thing as hearing a narrative uh, related to a specific site, right? With uh, even if it has the same coordinates, it has a, a different um, kind of meaning. So that that was what I was trying to pursue. In mm -hmm. Well, it's it is it's brilliant, and I I'm so glad you um, were able to to do that for the volume. Thank you. The you know it is interesting. It brings up all sorts of issues about who has the right to kind of connect spatially with objects, right? Yeah. So, you know, um, genocide, a big, a big part of genus, acts of genocide is actually controlling and even erasing right. entire population's ability to memorialize, right? To yeah. spatialize memory, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's been something that I've, um, you know, I, I've, I found so fascinating about um, spaces that for precisely that reason, right? That, that people uh, can be in a physical place and not know what all of the things that have happened there and that it's, we rely on these narratives. We rely on the oral histories and, um, and history in general to mm -hmm. keep those things alive. Oh, so important this work. Um, and then of course, um, very much kind of part of your formal drive to or your uh -huh. drive to kind of excavate and enrich our understanding of the formal aspects of comics but comics in a very different shape mm -hmm. here right <laughs> yeah so um this comic by emil homewood um who's a, a tokyo-based artist um is very very short and it's really just it's like a, a joke. In fact, I think um, we were so lucky that we were able to reproduce the whole comic in, in the volume. And um, I think the online version has it in color. So that's, that's really exciting. Um, this comic I find so compelling because it is something that 
all of us who have smartphones can relate to <laughs> entirely, uh, which is that our, our smartphones will autocorrect us or people will send something in haste um, and it's just garbled and we read it and sometimes we, we get it immediately and sometimes we read meaning into things that we, we shouldn't. Um, sort of anecdotally, I had just sent a friend a text um, the other night to, to wish her a happy Passover and I got a reply from her that just said no. And, and so I thought, okay. And uh, about 20 minutes later, she wrote me back and she said, I'm so sorry. I think my Apple Watch just automatically <laughs> replied to your text message. And, and, you know, it's like those kinds of things happen so frequently in our day that we don't even challenge them or think about them. And um, Homewood's comic really draws our attention to it because it's it's a, a text message conversation between two people um, who, who don't see each other and um, they're having a conversation which by the end of the comic we realize is completely one-sided um, but as we progress through reading the comic with her and um, I actually read this with my students in class. We all sort of try to make sense of all of the garbled letters um, because we send those kinds of messages to each other all the time, right? OMG, JK, and, and you know, my, my son will write things like IDK or, you know, LMK, and, and we sort of process it and we make language and meaning out of it. Um, but then sometimes we get it completely wrong because somebody just accidentally sent something. So th this comic um, plays on that. And I, I wanted to address how um, uh, making a comic about a digital conversation could especially draw our attention to it. Are there digital comics on like purposely made, I know in, in Korea they have those now that you scroll, you kind Where of you have to scroll through them. Yeah. Yeah, um, actually one of my students um, who, who's from China wrote a really great essay about a Chinese um, comics maker who, who just um, does these kinds of scrolling um, web comics mm -hmm. and how because of his success they actually published um, hard copies of it and it's a completely different reading experience. And so she wrote a paper about the, the conflict between, um, between the forms, right? That, that it's not just the images um, that make the comic, it's actually how you interact with the text and, and in the form that it was, it was made in. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, I don't, I'm not so good at, at reading, um, things online because I think from from a generation that likes to hold paper in the hand but mm -hmm. I do yeah. read a lot of text messages so yes right yes that's true um and it is it is always nice um always no matter what I will you know go to the printed copy I, I can read it yeah. fine on my computer yeah. but if I really want to read it like you know, then I print it. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I have to read with a pen in my hand, you know, like even if I'm not writing on it, I, I like to have the feeling. Totally, of totally there. Um, 
And um, so speaking of your students, let's talk about your, you are an award-winning professor. You can share some of your, your methods for teaching comics. Um, yeah. Sure. Um, well, I mean, one of the things I, I actually try a lot of different things um, in, in classes. Um, I've had the really, the good luck of having um, an, an institution that's very supportive of creative kinds of activities. So even in my classes that are not about comics, I've been able to sneak in some comics. So when I teach Introduction to Chinese Literature and we're reading poetry um, from, from the eighth century, which is very formally um, structured, they, it has lots of parallelisms, it has a lot of rhymes. I have my students illustrate it. And um, you know because they're very short, they can make one panel for each line of the poem. And it really helps them see what the thought processes were for the poet, you know, in the eighth century, who's trying to have a parallel structure throughout the poem. So one line will have the sun rising and the second line will have the sun setting or one line will have mountains in the distance and the second line will have something, a leaf or a blossom close to their face. And um, sometimes when you're reading a poem, these things just, you know, you may notice them, but they, they go away very quickly. But if you're forced to draw what you're supposed to see in the poem, you suddenly realize why the things are placed there. So that's one example of bringing comics into a non-comics classroom. Um, yeah. and <laughs> And then we do it the opposite way in my comics classrooms, like where I said, you know, we, we read Emile Holmwood's po uh, comic aloud, you know, and we go around the room and each student has to read the panel out loud to the class. And um, it's, it's really great because you can see how one person is reading the panel and then it becomes really collaborative because everyone starts saying oh and what about this thing and and um it it's becomes very organically um uh, a group project of reading uh which which is lovely and uh and i'm lucky that i i have these opportunities to to workshop through reading like that. Yeah, in fact, in many ways, we can think of uh, kind of going back to your frames, systems of framing, mm -hmm. as a kind of decision to segment in the same way that yeah. we might segment a poem with a line break, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I mean, I think it's, it's maybe I, am, I have this like tunnel vision that I'm applying to everything where I think, let's break this down into the, the smallest unit and then let's compare these units and see how they're, they're kind of balancing against each other, how they're fighting. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's, so... Um, Shaman, what is exciting for you in the world of comics today? I, I mean, what isn't exciting? I think it's the, it's the most compelling form uh, that that I've encountered in you know the last decade or more. Right? I feel like the most fascinating, most um, daring works are being created in this hybrid form, and it's. And it's amazing to me that people 
you know, have this kind of crystal clear way of storytelling, and then they're able to execute it with their incredible artistic skill. And I'm, I, I'm just bowled over by, by this. And, and it's, um, it's, it's also really exciting to be talking to artists now and, and um, to, to see the way that they are so receptive to each other's ideas and, and supportive. I, I mean, I really love this culture of, of sharing and, and support and, um, and just, you know, amazing, amazing work. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, my, my next project on comics is, is about, um, about reproduction. Actually, it's about, about the, the way that, um, we look at, at the comics form as a kind of this reproducible work of art and that the, that democratic way of, of sharing work and not really fixating on having some original work. I mean, we, we do like original pages and, and we, you know, go to museums uh, sometimes and, and look at them on display, but really the comic is made for this kind of um, mass dispersal. And, and it's, I find that such a beautiful aspect of, of the comic. So um, everything excites me <laughs> about comics. Oh my goodness, yes. And this is the year you have your American Philosophical Society Fellowship and, uh, you know, yes, we have, goodness, the whole planet is kind of on lockdown, but God, I really hope that you're able to get some work done on this new uh, book of yours for comic studies. Um, and yeah, yeah, so gosh, Shaman, thank you so much for joining me to share your, your passion, your research uh, you. on comics. Thanks, it was so much fun.